stand for just a moment. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31, and I'm going to read through verse 34. So if you're able to stand, I ask that you will. And uh, where we are in the scriptures is in Luke 22. This is just shortly before the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, we uh, do the Lord's Supper. When I do the Lord's Supper, I use these passages over in verses 19 and 20. And so Jesus begins to explain to them about the Lord's Supper, but some things are beginning to change, and Jesus is getting ready to go off the scene of his earthly ministry, and there's some things that are starting to take place. And so uh, we can see the human side of some of these men. We can see how they were battling with one another, who was going to be the greatest among them, and all kinds of things. And you just see the human side of these apostles. And then we get down to verse 31, and Jesus really begins to address Peter specifically. And he says in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, notice this, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. In verse 32, But I have prayed for thee. Can you imagine Jesus telling Peter, I prayed for you, Peter. And he said, but I have prayed for, ye, for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You may be seated. Now, I think this is a very revealing set of passages and a very revealing to the apostles as Jesus began to explain to them uh, what the Lord's Supper was all about. And the Lord's Supper is about Jesus Christ. It's about his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And he was teaching these men about what was about to happen to him. Now, Jesus literally gave his life on the cross at Calvary. And so this is nearing the last days of the ministry of Christ on earth, which we know was leading up to his crucifixion. And when I think about Jesus' crucifixion, I think this thought, his life for mine. His life for mine. He was going to go to the cross so that I might have eternal life. Um, fellas, how many of you remember Luke? How many of you remember Luke Putnam in the college coming down there, Providence Baptist College coming down and singing for us? They're over in Illinois. And uh, he called me the other day and uh, I had called him. He was asking about my son, Connor. He wanted to know if Connor might be interested in coming to Providence Baptist College, and he's been praying for Connor. And he called me, and he asked me, and he said, hey, he said, what's going on in Connor's life? And he said, what's going on in Ben's life? <laughs> he wants to know what's happening with you guys. And he said, I, I really enjoyed my time and talking to them when I was there. And, and he said, uh, we just chatted for a little bit, and I told him, I said, hey, I said, Luke, just pray. He was asking me what to pray about. I said, well, I'm teaching this newcomer's class. I said, it's the most exciting class I've taught in a long time. <laughs> I love teaching people about Jesus Christ. And I said, but, you know, some of the attacks have started. And I said, some of the people, they're getting discouraged and things are entering into their lives and it's causing them to, to, to kind of be here and not be able to be here and all that kind of stuff. And I said, it's just the devil at work. And he said, you know, I know that. And he says, believe it or not, Pastor Warnock, he said, I teach a class up here. And it's the newcomer's class. And he said, I'm so excited. And he said, I just led a young man to the Lord. And he said, Pastor Warnick, I want to share something with you. And I said, what's that? He said, let me share this thought with you. He said, that young man was coming out of the classroom after I'd led him to the Lord. And he came and he asked me, he said, I just remember standing in the doorway. And that young man looked at me and he said, can I ask you something, Luke? And he said, yes, what is it? And he said, if Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, why did he go to the cross? And Luke said, conviction drilled him. 
He said, it went from my head to my toes just to think about what Jesus had done for me, Pastor. He said, it wasn't for him that he said that, but God did that so that I would remember what Christ did for me on the cross. Boy, we need never forget that, amen? We need never forget what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. It doesn't need to become old. It needs to be new to us and fresh and new every day. And without a doubt, these apostles knew he was the Savior, knew the Messiah, the salvation given unto men, and there was a strong loyalty to Christ at this time. They were loyal. They, they wanted to walk with him. They wanted to be with him, and they wanted to surround themselves around him. And listen, that day, he knew that substitutionary death was going to come. He was going to have to be substituted for you and me. We deserve an eternal hell. Jesus said, what I'll do is I'll go in your place. I'll go in your place. And listen, men began to reject that idea that he could die for all of mankind. Yet all of us and many of us in this room, and even if you don't read your Bible, know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God clearly told us how to have everlasting life, and it comes through Jesus Christ. So this substitutionary death for you and for me and these apostles was approaching, and he was going to deal with rejection and abandonment even from the closest to him. He was going to deal with abandonment. How many of you have felt that way at times where you just felt like you needed help or you needed somebody to be there with you or you needed, need a little bit of help and you don't feel like it came along? And you're going it alone. You're doing it by yourself. And nobody's there to give you a hand. Have you ever been in those shoes? And you're thinking to yourself, how in the world am I going to get this done? And I can't imagine, here's Christ, and he understood who he was. He understood his role. But in Isaiah, he clearly points this out. And I love the Bible because the Bible works together. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you read Isaiah, you understand that's like the gospel of the Old Testament. And boy, when you get to chapter 53, there are a lot of religions that don't like chapter 53 of Isaiah because it clearly tells us what we then find in the Gospels. It's amazing, isn't it? And the thing they don't want to agree with is that Jesus really was our Savior. Yet we go to Isaiah 53 in verses 3 through 6. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, that ties directly into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Yes. It is the message that Jesus came to preach to them. And they rejected him. They abandoned him. And we come to this day where his apostles are with him. And notice what Peter says down here. He says in this verse, he says, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. <laughs> that was Peter's words. And Jesus turned around, and he knew what Peter was going to do, and he told Peter, I'll tell you what you're going to do, Peter. You're going to abandon me. You're going to abandon me when I need you the most. You're going to walk away. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet he still went to the cross for Peter, didn't he? 
He went to the cross for you and me. Now, as I think about this, Jesus tells his disciples that his time's drawing near and they're debating with him over who's the greatest. If you go back in verses 23 and so on, uh, they're starting to, to try to determine who they are and it just kind of shows you uh, that they're human, aren't they? And, and these men are trying to determine who's the, who's the greatest among them, <laughs> who's going to be the best among them. When I read stuff in the scriptures like that, it lets me know how real these are. These are not stories. This is truth. These are men who really live and live like that, and they were battling while their Savior's telling them, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. They're trying to determine who's going to be the best in the kingdom, who's going to be the greatest. Can you imagine that? Now you say, well, preacher, I know I'd never do that. Shh, don't be a Peter. Amen? Hush. Because we don't know, do we? And so we look at this and we see that happening. And so we see this specific attention now turned to Peter. And the Lord turns his attention unto him. And what makes this so amazing is Jesus was facing imminent death. And I can't help but understand this a little bit. He's getting ready to die. And his focus was not upon himself. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Can you imagine knowing that you're going to die and his first thoughts were not himself, but that of Peter? He said, Peter, I prayed for you. He knew what Satan was going to try to do to Peter. He knew he was going to try to destroy him. And as we look at this, Satan is real. He's the enemy of Christ. He's not our friend. He's a deceiver. He's always working and he's trying to divert our attention away from the Lord and he will use anything to get your attention off of God. He'll use anything he can. Because he doesn't want you to focus on serving our Savior. So Peter was no different, and Jesus was giving him warning of the temptation he was going to face. And notice in verse 28, Jesus said this to these men, and I want you to get a hold of this. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. I want you to know he was tempted like his, we are, yet without what? Sin. And he said, in no uncertain terms, I want to tell you guys, I appreciate you staying with me while I was being tempted. <laughs> You know, when someone's being tempted, we ought to reach out to them, not reject them. We ought to do all that we can to encourage them in the Lord. And so Satan is real. Peter is no different than you and me. And the question that comes to my heart, are you prepared spiritually through Christ to overcome the attacks of Satan and his desires? Are you able to overcome Satan and his desires? Those attacks are real, folks, and they come. Now, we know in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken us, but since it's common to man. But listen to me, but God is faithful. Amen? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above as you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God said, I'll give you a way out. You know that way out? His name is Jesus. <laughs> That's how you're getting out from underneath of it. You turn to him and your time of temptation. And I promise you, just as he told Peter, hey, listen, Satan wanted to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I'm telling you, our way of escape is a faithful God. Amen? And so whenever you're being tempted, you turn to Christ, and I promise you he's there on your behalf, and he's looking out for you. As I look at this, the Lord Jesus promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us, and Satan's desire is to tempt us and to cause us to get our mind off of Christ. And listen, he's there on our behalf to help you overcome what Satan's throwing at you, and God wants you to walk with him. In your times of temptation, don't give in to it. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ in your times of temptation. As I look at this, we're all faced with these temptations, but we're given some truths here, and I want you to get a hold of this. Satan's desires. When I look at verse 31, 
He says, and this is Jesus speaking, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know, Satan's in the destruction business. He wants to destroy you personally. He wants to destroy your homes. Now listen to me, men uh, in this room. You ought not look at another woman. If you have a wife, God has given you that woman, not some other woman, and you should never look at another woman. Your eyes should never be up on another woman. Now let me tell you something. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to get your mind off your wife. He wants you to see all her faults, all her problems, all the difficulties that you may be having with her, and at the same time, you're lifting yourself up thinking, I'm so wonderful, I don't know why she's that way. <laughs> I'm spectacular. And she, why is she that way? And Satan wants to get your mind onto someone else. And some other woman come up to you and say, man, you look really nice today. I do. I do look nice. Let me go talk to her. My wife didn't tell me I looked nice this morning. But that woman told me that, so I'm going to go talk to that woman. Satan's in that business. He's in the business of destruction. You young folks with these phones in your hands and these memes that come across your phones and these little ditties that come across your phones, listen to me. I'm telling you right now, a lot of that's the temptation of the devil. And what he's trying to do is get your mind on things that don't belong to you. <laughs> he's trying to get you to escape reality and wants you to live in a false world where things are just false and you're getting your hands on those phones and you're looking at things, fellas, that you ought not be looking at. Ladies, you're looking at things. You're allowing yourself. And here's the other thing. I believe he creates covetousness through uh, social media. You look at other people's lives, you think, man, they are a perfect look at their life. I mean, look at all the stuff they're doing. Look at where they're going. Look at what they just purchased. Look what they just ate for lunch. Look at how they're hugging one another. Look at how they just had a birthday party. Look at how they, man, they, they, I mean, they are just the absolute perfection of life. And you go over to their house and you meet with them for a few minutes and you realize, good night. What's going on over here? And yet we allow ourselves to believe this stuff. It's the temptations of the devil. He wants to destroy all the Lord's building, and he wants to destroy the local New Testament church. In fact, his desire is to be like God. He wants you to worship him just like we're supposed to worship God. Satan's in that mindset. In fact, he said in Isaiah in 14, 12 through 15, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. God said, let me tell you what your destination is already. No matter what he thinks, his destination is the pit. And so we need not give in to the devices of Satan. But he's out there trying to destroy us. He's using every opportunity that he can. And the Lord, the Lord my God, he's in the construction business. He's into building lines. He's into helping you. And listen, here's where we fail as Christians. We wait until we have a problem before we go to God. We wait until we have a problem to read the Word of God. We wait till we have a problem to talk to the pastor. We wait till we have a problem to go to church and hear the preaching of the Word of God. We wait till all these things have come in. We wait till the walls are caving in on us. We wait till everything's crashing down on us. We wait till the heaviness of this life is weighing down on us. And then we say, where is God? And God says, I haven't met with you for a month. I haven't heard from you. 
I don't know if you're interested in me or not. (laughs) And he's there for you. Oh, but Satan wants to tell you, go do what you want to do. Do it as often as you want to do it. It, Listen, you only live once. It's your life. You be you. You do what you want to do. Man, do everything that's so important to you. But listen, a time is coming. (laughs) And he'll come calling. And Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you away from God, to destroy you. So he says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, oh, Peter. Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. I want to tell you something. Satan desires to have every one of you, including this man standing on this platform. He wants to destroy us. He wants your life to be a wreck. Useless. When you look at the word sift here, it's to shake you out and to cause you to fall to the ground, rendering you useless, getting rid of the chafe, or trying to make you as worthless as possible. When he said, Peter, he wants to sift you as wheat, he wants to render you absolutely useless for God. That's what Satan wants to do with you. He wants to sift you as wheat. (laughs) Peter definitely didn't comprehend what Jesus was telling him at the moment, and we can tell by his response to Christ. He says down here, he says in uh, verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And so I don't think Peter was really getting it, but I think it's a lesson he learned through time. If you were to then turn right now to 1 Peter chapter 5, okay, and you were to look at verse 8, and you go in there, he says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a warring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. I want to ask you something. You think Peter learned his lesson? <laughs> Amen. Why did he pen those words in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8? Because I think when Jesus spoke to him right here, he didn't quite understand what Jesus was telling him. He didn't understand who the real enemy was. He didn't understand what the devil was capable of doing. He didn't understand that the man who loved him and the one who was going to save his soul from an eternal hell, the one who cared for him and loved him and was going to the cross to die for him, that he was actually going to abandon him and turn his back on him because from his humanistic thinking, he said, there's no way I'll go to death for you. And he turned right around and did exactly what the scriptures say. Before the cock crow, he denied him how many times? Three times. You see, you think you know, and you think you can overcome the devil? We are absolute fools if you think you have an ability to overcome that. Because the scriptures are very clear. Your adversary, listen, an adversary is not your friend. It's not your buddy. (laughs) He's out to get you. He's out to destroy you. And your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Emily and I were just driving in this morning, and uh, we saw a red-tailed hawk just kind of flying around the field. What do you think he was looking for? (laughs) Something to what? Pounce on, wasn't he? He's ready to pounce on it, wasn't he? Now, do you think that little mouse down on the ground thought anything about that red-tailed hawk up there in the sky? And it's hovering over top of him. And what is he about to do? He's about to dive in really quick and pounce on him before he knew it. I was out hunting one time. Tom, I was sitting in the tree, and I'm sitting there, and this little squirrel just come up in the tree, man, and he's just across from me there, and I was using that kind of tree as kind of a, a little bit of uh, a cover for myself, you know, so in case a deer come in or whatever, and 
man, that little squirrel kept coming up there. I thought, good night. Get this thing out. I was ready to take the, my arrow out and just kind of flick at him, see if I could get him to get away from the tree because he was bugging me to no end. And I was sitting there, and I was like, good night. Come on, get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. And all of a sudden, yeah! <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> that bird came in and took that squirrel out of there so fast, and I thought, I didn't even have to pull my arrow out. That's how the devil is. And you think you got it. He's going to pounce on you when you least expect it. He's hovering. <laughs> He's looking. He's ready to pounce. He's ready to come after you. When I look at this, Peter said, be sober. That means stay in your right mind. Be vigilant. That means stay after it. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's coming after you because he doesn't like it when you serve God. As I look at this, Satan's desire is to see you fall. He wants you to fail. He wants you to disobey God's word. He wants you to turn away from Christ. He wants you to deny that he even exists. And then I read Revelation 12, 10. <laughs> and he says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Let me tell you what he's in the business of doing, Cody. He's in the business of going up there talking about you. He's in the business going up there and saying, hey, uh, Lord, you, you see what Cody's doing? Do you see this? Do you see his behavior? You see what, I mean, he, Jody, he's up there saying, hey, look, you, you watching Jody? Did you see what she said the other day? Hey, Chris, hey, did you see what he said the other day? Did you watch what he did? Let me tell you something. He is up there accusing you, Tom, every moment he gets because he doesn't want you serving God. Bill, he wants you to walk away from God. He doesn't want you to serve the Lord. He wants you to go about your own business and your own life and your own things and all the stuff that matters to you. He wants to keep you preoccupied with your own life. He doesn't want you occupied with the things of God. And David, he'll do anything he can to destroy you and your family, your children, your household, and he is out to get you and you say, what do we do about all this? Oh, aren't you glad? He said, Peter, I prayed for you. You have a God in heaven, Aaron, that loves you. Amen. Amen. And no matter what you're going through, he cares about you. <laughs> Casting all of your care upon him, Daryl, for he cares for you. You hear me, Miss Pam? He's talking to our hearts today, James. He's telling us, hey, I care about you, Miss Carol. He knows what you go through, he knows your every heartache. Steve, he knows exactly what's going on in your life. And God loves you, Craig and Brianna. And he wants you to serve him with your whole heart. He wants you to do that. Ben, he's interested in you. He's interested in your future. Stephanie, he wants nothing more than your household to serve the Lord. You hear me, Miss Judy? He loves you. He wants your lives, folks. Dan, he loves you and... I heard your brother say yesterday the testimony that you have, and you don't lose that thing, man. You don't lose that testimony for God. Lisa, you can influence your family more than you know. You hear me, Bill? Jim, Lori, all of you in here, I want you to know God loves you. Amen. And he wants to use your life, Emily, 
He wants to use you and Dustin in a way that he's not using anybody else right now. Do you hear me, family? Callie? Do you hear me, Connor? God wants to use each and every one of you, Amy, Patty, Miss Esther. Listen, Lucy, he loves you. And he wants to use your lives, Kathy. You hear me, Jessica? I'm telling you, God wants to use every single solitary person in this room. And Pam Wolaver, Satan, wants to keep you busy. You hear me, Christine? God loves you folks, and he wants to use your lives. When I go to the scriptures, I say, believe the word of God. you got a Christ who loves you. He says in Hebrews 14, 4, 14 and 16, he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. <laughs> let us hold fast our profession. He said, let us hold fast our profession. And he says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, listen to this, come boldly. How? Come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now listen to me. He says this, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have a God that loves you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to know that Satan cannot defeat you because, by the way, his son already has victory over Satan. Amen? Amen. He's already conquered. And, and listen, he understands. And so Satan's desire is not able to overcome the power of God through Christ Jesus in your life. And unto him that is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think, Chris, everything that we ask of him, he's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, that's the Bible, isn't it? That's what the Word of God says. And so, as I look to the Scriptures, we have an enemy. His name's Satan. His desire is to sift you as wheat. He wants to render you useless and worthless. And I look to the Scriptures, and I see this, and Jesus says to Peter, he says, but I have prayed for thee. You ought to underline that in your Bible. <laughs> but I have prayed for thee. <laughs> We have a permanent shield against Satan. We have Christ's protection. We have a Savior that loves us. Oh, he tells us things in the Scriptures all the time. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. We have a Christ who loves us. We have a Satan that wants to destroy us. We have a Christ who loves us. We have a Satan that wants to tempt us. We have a Christ that wants to help us escape those temptations. We have a Jesus who died for you. We have a Satan that wants to drag you to hell. And listen, we have a God who already took care of that problem, didn't he? He wants us to be confused. And God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. Guys, so we look at this and we see Christ's uh, protection. We have a, such a loving Savior and, and, and we need his hand of protection. Listen, he went to the cross of Calvary. He shed blood. The very first way you receive the protection of Jesus Christ is in eternal hell. He wants to save your soul first. If you're not saved, he can't save you from anything else until you trust what he did on the cross of Calvary for you. When you come to that acknowledgement and say, I understand that my soul is hanging over hell, and you say, well, I just don't believe that. That's okay, because it, 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 just because I don't believe something doesn't make it not true. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I was watching Cops the other night, and the guy said, these aren't my pants. <laughs> I was dying laughing. Found drugs in his pocket. He goes, these aren't my pants. 
And he said, you're wearing them. And he goes, I know, but they're not mine. He said, then you should know what's in the pants pockets of someone else's pants you put on before you go out. I thought, that's pretty good, right? He wants protection now. <laughs> they weren't his pants. He wants that officer to go, oh, okay, here, give me those pants. You go on your way, right? I mean, I don't know. But we want to go do our own thing, and then we're looking for protection sometimes, aren't we? And the thing of it is, is that if we want God's protection, if we want his hand of protection, we ought to walk with the Lord. Would you agree? To start walking with God, the first thing you need to be protected from is an eternal hell. And he can't protect you unless you're going to do the right thing and trust his son, Jesus Christ, to take your soul to heaven when you die. You say, well, I just don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. It matters that it's so according to the Scriptures. And see, you can tell me all you want to, but listen, I've given my life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've given myself over, and I've heard people tell me all kinds of things about that book, and every time I go back to it, it proves me wrong and proves him right. Amen, amen. And he's so right that he even tries to teach us some things in the Bible. I've had people think that their works can take them to heaven. I was reading the scriptures the other day, and God just enlightened me. He said, yeah, we know that verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. No, it was somewhere else. I was reading, Chris, and man, I was doing a hallelujah dance in the office. I was like, I cannot believe what this says. If anyone would just read this, should tell them whether their works are going to take them to heaven or not. You know, when you open the Bible, you say, well, you should know everything, preacher. You're reading the Bible all the time. I sure wish I did, because I wish I had a good memory, too. Amen? Because, man, I read stuff, and I was in there, and I was so excited. I opened up the Bible, and in John chapter t- uh, 6, verses 28 and 29, Then said they unto him, they're talking to Jesus, this is the Pharisees. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Amen. Uh-oh. <laughs> What do you do with that now, Miss Carol? I don't even know. <laughs> I was like, man, i got to share this with this individual. They believe that their works are going to take them to heaven, and the Bible never shares that. But Satan really wants us to believe that somehow or another we're going to stand at those gates, and somehow or another our good is going to outweigh our bad, and we'll get into heaven as a result of that. And yet the Bible never, 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 never once says that. Not one time. And then God said, well, let me show you something else, Bob. <laughs> I was so excited I couldn't handle a damn. Our works can't take us to heaven. And I don't know where they get it. Yet when I open up the scriptures and I see this, through the free gift of salvation, we receive a permanent shield. Amen? We receive the permanent shield of Jesus Christ. Just for the sake of time, I won't turn there, but you ought to write this down over in Ephesians chapter 6. And you go in there and you read from verses 10 through 18. And it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Listen, Satan is throwing darts at you and me. <laughs> and, and, and he's after us. And he's looking to target you today. Are you with me? He's out to target you today. And so Christ says to Peter, I have prayed for thee. But Satan's desire is to, to just destroy us, and yet I want to shield you, Peter. And Christ also prayed for you and me. You say, Where? I'm going to read a verse to you in just a minute, but I want to challenge you to read John 17. Aaron, Christ fell to his knees and prayed for us. Amen. You personally and me. He prayed for us. I read in the scriptures, and it says in John 17, 19 through 21, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they 
also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. (laughs) He's not just praying for the apostles. Listen to what he says. He says, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they will be, uh, may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He's praying for us. Amen. You go read John 17, 17. A lot of people say, read Matthew chapter 6, that's the Lord's Prayer. No, I believe that's a model prayer. You read John 17, 17, you'll see Jesus praying. You can see his heart revealed to us through the scriptures, and this is what he's doing. He's going to his death, Tom, and he's praying for you and me. That's amazing to me. He not only prayed for Peter at that very moment, he was praying for us as well. And you see, Satan wants to sift our lives as we, but Jesus wants us to come to him. Christ gives us an avenue of prayer to sustain us in our times of temptation, and Satan's desire is to get you to avoid praying. Listen, he wants to zap you of all the power that God provides. He wants you to get to the place, Brianna, where he says, it's not even worth your time to pray, and we have to turn and say, I am not listening to that. I am going to submit myself to God. I'm going to resist the devil, and I'm going to go to God. I'm going to call near to him, because he said, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and pure Purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. Listen, he wants us to come to the place where we're not waffling, that we're walking with him and not waffling with him. He says, I have something for you. You're turning to Christ in your time of temptation is also trusting his word. Satan wants to twist his word, and God wants to give you his word. Satan wants to twist your thinking, and God wants to keep your mind clear. Here's the thing about it. I'll end with this this morning. Peter says in verses 33 and 34, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I want to talk about what man doesn't know. (laughs) We think we got it. But what do we not know? I told Anita the other day, I don't know about you, when I go to buy a house, you know how when you go to buy a car, David, you get to take it for a test drive? I'd really like to take a house for a test drive before I bought it. <laughs> Anybody with me? I'd like to have that thing for a couple months. i just like to check it out a little bit, make sure the lay of the land's good. You know what I mean, Brother Bill? Kitchen's big enough. You know what I'm saying? Make sure there's no floods. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just want just to take it for a test run, Craig. Wouldn't that be nice? Come on in. You guys test run the house. You know, you can come over here and live for a couple months. Man, that'd be awesome, Dave. Because after you move in and you begin to find out, this is not exactly what I thought it was. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> How many of you walked in those shoes? <laughs> like to take that bad boy for a test run before we get in there. <laughs> that doesn't happen with a house, does it? You don't get to take it for a test run. You know what that's called, Christine? That's called unknown. I don't know. I remember buying a house off of a set of drawings and I thought the fireplace was in the wall. It was in the middle of the room. So when I went to the guy and I said, why is the fireplace in the middle of the room? That's on the drawings. No, it's not. It was supposed to be up. No, look at the drawings. And Chris, I don't know how I missed it. There it sits, right in the middle of the room. Just like he said. You say, well, that's your fault. You had a test run. No, I didn't. I missed it somehow. I like to go in there and say, you know, I'd rather not have that fireplace there, Brother Bill. I'd rather have it up in the wall, you know what I'm saying? Not in the middle of my room, splitting everything up. 
And the thing of it is, is that there's these unknown things in our life sometimes. And how many of you have heard people talk about the unknown or why didn't they do, Cody? Right? You're having to make a split-second decision, but why didn't he do this? Tough sometimes, isn't it? And maybe even get ridiculed about the decision you made in a split second, isn't it? I had to choose, like right now, what I'm going to do next. <laughs> and it's not like you say, wait a minute, hold on, let me think this through for just a second. <laughs> oh, he's swinging at me, and therefore I must not, well, let me think this through a little bit. <laughs> it's an unknown, isn't it? Here he comes. <laughs> And I must respond to what's happening. And, and sometimes there's unknowns in our lives, and there is nothing worse than the unknown. How many of you would say that this morning? When you're uncertain of something, how many of you feel that way sometimes? Hey, when you go on a call sometimes, it's uncertain what you're walking into, isn't it? Every time. And when you pull that car over on the highway, you don't know who's really behind that driver's seat. You don't know who's behind that wheel. You don't know who's in that car. That's an unknown, isn't it, Steve? You don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> How many of you like the unknown? Or you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I'd like to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Peter said, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Lord. And Jesus said, no, let me tell you what you're going to do, Peter. Our unknowns are known by him. Boy, we ought to turn to him in our times of unknowing. Amen? And not make choices based upon humanistic thinking, but make choices based upon the truth of the God's Word. And when I come to God's Word and I look at this, many of us in this life think we know what's going to happen next. The Lord provides a truth here that really brings us to this place. We can often operate just like Peter did and go so far as to tell the Lord what's going to happen next. And Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And the only way for preparation of the unknown is to go to the one who knows. <laughs> And that's what we do last. Cody, I pray for you every day because I don't know. I tell my brother the same thing. I pray for him every day. And I'm not joking about that because I have no idea who you're going to pull over next. And I pray for him every day. And the reason I pray for him is because he's living in a world of unknown a lot of times. And we don't know, Stephanie, just like you went out that day. Did you know that tire was coming off that truck? That was an unknown, wasn't it? But in a moment's time, your life could have changed just like that. A lot of unknowns out there, isn't there, folks? And the thing of it is, that's why I tell you, before you get in that car, before you go to that office, before you take that next call, you bow your head and say, Lord, I need you to go before me. I don't know what I'm running into next. When I'm taking that trip, when I'm going somewhere, I don't know what's coming up. Do you know who knows? He knows. <laughs> he knows. And man, I want his hand of protection on my life. And when I think about this, Peter stated, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. <laughs> and at the moment when it came, Cody, you know what he did? I don't know him. Lady, you're wrong. Man, you don't know. <laughs> and three times, And the cock crows, right? And you know what it says, Chris? If you read it closely, it says, and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that moment, Jim, in your life? He turned and looked at him, Bill. Man, I can't imagine that. 
Talk about conviction, James. That'd wear you out, wouldn't it? The only way for preparation to the unknown is to go to the one who knows. You know, we try to go through this based on human reasoning and our thoughts and our feelings when Christ wants you to respond by the power of his holy word. (laughs) He wants us to respond in Christ. (laughs) He wants us to come to him in our time of need. Our unknowns can often cause us to react. Would you agree? We all know when we react. You know, Christ is looking for us to respond and we react sometimes, don't we? And sometimes we just get to the place, and I think we would respond more if, in fact, we walk with God and know His Word and it's penetrated our minds and our hearts through the reading of His Word, through the time of prayer, and we come to God knowing that He is and He's a rewarder of them to diligently seek Him, amen? And we come to that place where He's there for us in those moments, and we have those times of uncertainty in our life, but the one thing that we can be certain of is He's walking with us. Jesus said... I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do and how he was going to react. And I got to thinking about this, even in that situation. Jesus went to the cross for him, didn't he? I'll give you this verse and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. I'm so excited today, Amy and Aaron. Will Abigail getting baptized this morning. Mike, isn't that exciting? Mike got to lead his granddaughter to the Lord. Amen. Can we say amen? amen? It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting stuff, man. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. Fellas, ladies, you ought to get a hold of this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he that delighteth in his way, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. You ought to write that down. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord doesn't want you to react. He doesn't want you to slip. Satan desires to destroy you. God wants to construct you. <laughs> I just want to challenge you in your hearts this morning. When you're running into the unknown, go to Christ. Satan is deceptive, he's a deceiver, and he wants to devour you. Christ said, I'm here to protect you. I need you to come to me. I've prayed for thee. And we need to challenge ourselves to go to him, even in our times of unknowing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.